in-depth discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us once again for African Dialogue. It's 11 o'clock right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. That's 11 o'clock Central African time. Well, today on our program, we'll be looking at pyramid schemes and what they take and if they are legal how they work and how safe are they i know that pyramid schemes are uh, an african phenomenon not just an african phenomenon but also you see this trend internationally but before we get into that let's get our news from onel and Zinti. And we take a look at your headlines. The government of South Sudan allows rebel leader Rick Mashar to return to the capital to form a unity government. Nearly 40 people in Gambia have been charged for arranging a small protest and Ethiopian police around the area in South Sudan where an armed group is suspected of holding over 100 Ethiopian children hostage. The government of South Sudan has allowed rebel leader Riek Mashar to return to the capital to form a unity government. Mashar is now expected to fly into Juba this Thursday. A government official earlier said Mashar was held up because he had wanted to bring equipment and troops into Juba in excess of what was agreed with President Salva Kiir's camp. The United States and the UN Security Council have both voiced concern over the latest delay to the return of Mashar, who is due to take up the post of first vice president next to Kiir as part of a power-sharing deal. Nearly 40 people in Gambia have been arrested and charged for arranging a small protest last week that called for free speech and electoral reform. At least 50 people were arrested after the demonstration on Thursday in the West African country, a crackdown condemned by the international community. The cases have been adjourned until April 27. Lawyers for the defendants are expected to file for bail this Thursday. Ethiopian police have surrounded the area where Nam's group is suspected of holding 125 children hostage. The troops crossed into South Sudan and surrounded Geo and Kork, where the children are allegedly being held by Mela tribesmen. Prime Minister Halemariam Desale said in a national address that Ethiopia was in consultation with South Sudan to take joint military measures against the attackers. The Ethiopian government says at least 208 people died when the Mullah allegedly attacked villages in Ethiopia last Friday and stole more than 2,000 cattle. Senior U.S. officials are warning of deepening links between the Islamic State and Boko Haram. America's UN envoy Samantha Powers and top U.S. military officials visited Chad, highlighting the country's uncertain position in dealing with hostile militants, groups and unstable neighboring government. 
And finally, Zimbabwean citizens are blaming the current effects of El Nino on poor preparedness by the government. Speaking during a media briefing in Kariba, local villagers also complained that government did not take time to educate locals on the steps that needed to be taken to get ready for the season. Simon Muchema reports from Kariba in Zimbabwe. As the effects of El Nino begin to show in Zimbabwe, it is now a blame game as higher and lower government officials complain of shoddy planning. In Zimbabwe, nearly 3 million citizens are in urgent need of food aid worth nearly 1.8 billion US dollars due to the drought. The Southern African nation is one of the countries worst affected by the El Nino-induced drought such that most crops in rural areas like Kariba are a complete write-off. This is despite early warnings that the sub-Saharan region will be affected starting years back, but the disaster preparedness has been questioned. And recapping on your top stories, the government of South Sudan allows Joba leader Rek Mshar to return to the capital to form a unity government. Nearly 40 people in Gambia have been charged for arranging a small protest and Ethiopian police surround the area in South Sudan where an armed group is suspected of holding over 100 Ethiopian children hostage. Channel African News, I'm Onilintsinsi. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And yes, you're listening to us on uh, the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Remember, if you're listening to us uh, on DSTV on channel 902 and uh, online, you can uh, stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. Spread the word as well about Channel Africa. We know we've got listeners all over the world, so do spread the word about it. Different platforms indeed. So, hey, we can be actually accessed in various ways. So, hey, today we're going to be looking at pyramid schemes what are they are they legal how they work and just how safe they are we know that latest news in south africa in the recent past weeks we've been hearing about a pyramid scheme and one called triple m we've seen news headlines in south africa saying the scheme had collapsed currently the triple m investment scheme is under investigation by south africa's host hawks unit after it collapsed in russia as well and the group has applied to the high court in pretoria south africa for clarity on whether the donation-based network is considered a ponzi scheme or a pyramid scheme. Well, on the line, we're joined by Trevor Harting, who is a spokesperson of the National Consumer Commission, as well as uh, David Kopp, who is uh, the advocacy in, from the Advocacy and Consumer Affairs Financial uh, Planning Institute. That's the Advocacy and Consumer Affairs Department of the Fi- Financial Planning Institute. Let me start with you, David. You're with me in studio. What are we talking about when we're speaking about pyramid schemes? Uh, so, so, good morning and, and thank you very much for the opportunity. So, w- when we're looking at pyramid schemes, these are schemes which, which require 
I, I'm going to use the word investors in, in inverted <laughs> commas, um, which require people to put money into a scheme mm. in order to get money out. The problem is on normally they don't have any basis uh, for actually generating investment returns. So what happens, the people who put money in in the beginning get their money um, actually their money that they put in gets paid to earlier investors. Sure. So eventually when you stop getting people actually putting money in the scheme, that's when the scheme collapses because yeah. there's no actual underlying assets to generate a return and, and pay people their money back. Okay, let's go back. Let's retrace this thing. So I remember there was a time I was invited by a colleague of mine when I used to work in Cape Town and say, hey, there's this great thing, sells products. So basically they were selling, um, I think it was uh, detergents. Yes. So I was like, okay, that's interesting. Indeed, okay, it seems like we're trading off something. And then we went into the school hall. That's when it be- became bizarre for me. I'm like, yeah. oh, this is a business venture. Went into this very interesting school hall. And we were just sitting and then started, something started coming up. And then the, a big represent- presentation was made. But what stood out for me was that these products didn't have a specific logo. There was a factory somewhere in the middle of somewhere in Cape Town when I, where I, when I used to live there that was producing these products. And somehow they were certified by who knows who in the United States. And something was really off for me. And, said, and basically I had to get more people to sell this product yeah. for me to actually get more. But it didn't make sense for me because if I had to get more, just get more people to, get, to earn more, I could just be selling the product myself. Why should I be getting more people? And that's where it sounded very, very convincing, but something just didn't feel right about the whole process. How do they actually work? So so in terms of the process you're describing, there there are businesses out there that are described as multi-level marketing businesses. Okay. And basically in in businesses like that, and and probably the most well-known one uh, worldwide is is a company called Amway. And through its Network 21 network, that, that they actually um, get people to come on board and sell the product. And the more people you get on board, you get paid a commission for the more people who come under you and, and sell the product. In a nutshell, that works. Now, and, and that's a bit of a problem with Ponzi schemes because mm. quite often the guys who start Ponzi schemes can actually have in the beginning something that seems like a legitimate business behind it. Mm. So in terms of this, where you're saying there was no proper logo, no manufacturing, no backup of Mm. the product, Mm. it could have been some guy who just started something up, got guys on in the beginning, and then it it, it became a Ponzi scheme and used something which is a multi-level marketing program, which is legitimate to create a scam. And and that's why you always need to look and and make sure if somebody comes to you and says that this is a multi-level marketing strategy and, and, and product, make sure that there is in fact a product behind it, it's a proper product, it's been certified, and, and do your research on the scheme before investing in anything like that. Mm, let me move to you, uh, Trevor Hatting. I'm sure this creates a lot of problems for your work at the National Consumer Commission. Uh, Trevor, how do we know how to distinguish these right businesses to the false ones because there is this multi-level form of advertising that is highlighted there by David. So how do we know the difference or would the National Consumer Commission advise the consumers just to stay away from these concepts? Okay. Just firstly, uh, firstly, good good morning and good morning to your listeners. Sure. Um, Firstly, just to also uh, explain the difference between multi-level marketing and and the pyramid scheme. In a multi-level marketing uh, initiative, investment, you find that the main driver or source of income is products that are being sold. In a pyramid scheme, there 
is no product, or let me not even say that there's no product. In some instances, there are products, but the products are byproducts. But what distinguishes them from a uh, multi-level marketing scheme is that in the main, the income or the revenue that sustains the scheme is the uh, monies that are received from uh, participants that are continuously recruited into the scheme. So what am I saying? I'm saying in terms of the financial model that sustains the actual uh, scheme, it relies on the consistent and continuous recruitment of other people who pay either what they call a joining fee or initial investment. So that is the main difference between uh, the two schemes. Now, uh, if you are... Sorry, to, to, to identify a pyramid scheme is, is, is quite simple. Firstly, if you are required to recruit other people into the scheme for the scheme, for the scheme's survival, and there's either a product or the product that, sorry, there's either no product or the product that is available is a byproduct, then you need to be very suspicious of a scheme of that kind because it's most likely a, a pyramid scheme. Also, uh, when you join any scheme, any investment scheme, you need to receive some documentary proof that you've invested your money somewhere and that you'll get returns on investment on the following projections, etc. With pyramid schemes, you do not get documentary proof whatsoever. Then also, uh, pyramid schemes are, uh, and I'll put it between inverted commas, uh, financial services uh, traders or, or schemes. Uh, they do not have any um, financial services um, recognition or registration in the country. In other words, any ordinary or uh, any uh, authorized financial services provider in the country is registered with the uh, Financial Services Board, and they have a registration number. Also, their promoters or brokers, they are trained and their training is accredited, and they also have some sort of a registration number. In pyramid schemes, you do not get those things. So when you join a scheme or you, you are not sure of a scheme, you need to ask, where are you registered? Are you registered at a company? Are you registered with the financial services uh, board uh, as a financial service provider and then also I think this is one of the main things that they use to attract people they yeah, offer yeah. extremely too yeah. good to be true returns on investment yeah. Okay, very interesting indeed. And then we'll come back to that because that opens the whole uh, can of worms, the idea that in Africa we have something called stock fails. And those are never kind of certified or licensed as businesses. Usually people come together as friends or a community and actually they uh, kind of help each other in a way. So, uh, you know, the certification process could be something that people wouldn't bother themselves because of just the structure of how people actually kind of garner money on the continent. They kind of find different ways of actually uh, making more or saving up. So we'll come back with that particular aspect. And also we're now joined by Gerald Mwandi Ambira, who's the Chief Executive Officer of South African Savings Institute. And maybe he can give us a little bit on that. But let's take a quick break. Hey, do you think that uh, pyramid schemes are are something that work for you or have you experienced some dangers in this regard give us your thoughts sms us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero or you can email us at info at channelafrica.org that's info at channelafrica.org it's eleven fifteen central african time let's take a quick break the seventh it leaders africa summit takes place at vodacom world near johannesburg south africa from the 15th to the 16th of March. The event is more than just another conference. It is led by some of today's key individuals who are shaping the IT landscape. Leaders in the industry have been consulted to tailor an agenda that is both current and topical. So if you cannot make it to the summit, then don't you worry. 
Channel Africa will be there, so listen to us as we broadcast live from the 7th IT Leader Summit, taking place on the 15th and 16th of March. You can catch us on the shortwave on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band or on the DSTV channel 902, as well as on the internet channelafrica.org. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And you're listening to African Dialogue right now, and uh, you're listening to us on that frequency that was highlighted by Atlanta, uh, one of our reporters in that uh, uh, particular promo. Is, that's the frequency 9625 uh, kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. That's 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Today we're speaking about pyramid schemes. What are they? Are they legal? And how they work? And are they safe? And let me bring in Gerald uh, Mwandiambira, who's the chief executive officer from the South African Savings Institute. Gerald, thank you for giving us your time. Good morning, Benjamin. How are you? Great, great. Now, look, looking at pyramid schemes in, 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 in the, the totality, do you think that they are legal? And, you know, should there be a distinction between these multi-level marketing schemes? And uh, how do we know the difference? I think that's where people are having a difficult time. Gerald? I think a pyramid scheme is basically that. It's a scheme which is used to enrich a few at the expense of others. Now, (laughs) that's the main issue around it, is that pyramid schemes by their nature end up with somebody losing and someone gaining. And often when they're doing well, everyone's happy singing their phrase, but ultimately some people lose their life savings, some people lose money which they've even borrowed to enter this schemes. And in principle, they're just not a fair system in terms of generating wealth because there is no underlying investment going on. And that's the primary reason why they are typically against the law, because the law is also there to protect us from doing things that may harm ourselves. And the biggest argument of members of such schemes is that they have the right to do what they like, but often that story and tune changes when they've lost money. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a very important point that you're bringing there, Gerald. Let me take it to you, David, and looking at the legality of it. Shouldn't there be good regulation in this regard? Because, you know, for me, it creates a problem, even having these multi-level marketing schemes, as you're highlighting, existing themselves, because it's very difficult to differentiate between one thing and another if I'm just an ordinary person who's not very clued up with these systems. So... Um good regulation uh, with regards to investments and investments in South Africa. So at the moment, we've got two regulators. We've already mentioned the Financial Services Board is the regulator of all non-banking financial services, and the Reserve Bank is a regulator of all banking financial services. So if you're investing in anything, your first point of call to see is, is the investment company either registered as a bank with the Reserve Bank or as but a, people don't do that. I mean, ordinary people yeah. are just don't think like that, you know. So that's also where, and, and now I'm going to put a bit of a, um, a, an advice for people is when you are looking at investment, if you're not going to do the groundwork in the investment yourself, go find a certified financial planner professional who can actually do that investigation for you. They can do a due diligence on the scheme and they can come back to you and tell you, is the scheme properly registered? Is there actually something underlying the scheme or is it something you're putting your money in and the other investors are getting paid with your money, which is is what we've discussed as a pyramid scheme. So 
One of the problems with pyramid schemes is they set them up so that they fall outside of the regulatory net. So either they're not registered, um, and then what they do is they, they – market themselves through social media platforms and, and everything like that. I was, I've been approached several times on Facebook um, and at one stage the person was, was quite aggressive and, and that's another thing, they're aggressive and they start off with saying, well, if you don't want to invest a big amount, give me a hundred rand and you know, in two weeks time I'll give you three hundred rand back. Okay, mm-hmm. Now that return is unheard of in <laughs> any traditional investment. Sure. And then you get your 300 rand back and they say, okay, now that you've tested it with your 100 rand, give me your 1,000 rand or your 5,000 rand. And that's when people start putting more and more money in. And the scheme relies on people to continually put money in. As soon as people stop putting money in or want to draw the money out, that's when the scheme starts collapsing because there's no money feeding it in because, as I said, there's no substance to the scheme. It's just circulating and recirculating Mm. money within Mm. the scheme Mm. to make Mm. people Mm. happy. Mm. Coming to you, Trevor, looking at the legality of it, are there any policies or actually uh, maybe forms of uh, you know uh, legislation that actually make sure that consumers are protected from the system? No, definitely there is. There's the uh, Consumer Protection Act that outlaws uh, pyramid schemes, uh, also fraudulent schemes and offers. In addition to pyramid schemes, there's also uh, what is known as multiplication scheme schemes, which is uh, something that what's his name Triple M bears hallmarks of. Uh, among others. Um, yes, the, the Consumer Protection Act outlaws uh, pyramid schemes uh, and any other fraudulent scheme and offers. So yes, we do have the kind of, we do have legislation in place and this is one of the reasons why we've done the assessment and why the Reserve Bank and the Financial Services Board, after detecting um, certain suspicious activities on bank accounts, referred the matter to us to, to do an assessment in terms of our legislation and then, then we decided to refer the matter to the police uh, simply because um, the objective of a, per, of a pyramid or Ponzi scheme is to defraud um, people of their money. And we felt that we wanted to, they, there's another way that we could have done this. We could have gone the route of going to court ourselves, um, but we decided, no, let's go the criminal route. Uh, we want to send out a strong message and we want to, to nip this thing in the bud and ensure that people um, are protected against themselves. Um, as uh, yeah, against themselves and also mm-hmm. protected against uh, from others that are trying to um, swindle money out of them. Mm. And, and Gerald, you know, looking at the issue of the way we save as Africans, we usually do it in a community basic way, which is stock fails. I know they're very popular in our mm. communities, and and that's where the problem sometimes in our communities is different. It's difficult for us to maybe differentiate between something like a stock fail and a pyramid scheme. Have have you seen kind of those trends happening, and maybe that's sometimes where we see the danger with these pyramid schemes versus our stock fails. Okay, I think the, the, the comparison to stock sales is mainly because the organizers of these illegal schemes want to trick people to think that it is a stock sale. A stock sale is a group of people with a common purpose, typically friends or family. And these are people who meet regularly and engage with each other. So there's no question of dealing with any strangers. You're dealing with people who you know, people who you know where they stay. And often how that works is that people lend money to each other by putting money into a pool and rotating it. Those are the rotating savings clubs. Now, what some of these pyramid schemes are trying to do is to say, we're just a stock fail, but that can't be the case because they're based online. You're dealing with total strangers, and often you're just being ordered or given an instruction to pay money into an account. And the problem 
when you're paying money into a house that you don't know the person who you're paying and you don't know what their business is or what they do. So there's always there's additional crimes which can now be linked to you because, for example, if you're paying money into the, an account for a child trafficker or a drug dealer or, or somebody who's involved in illicit activities, mm, mm. you are become complicit in whatever they do because you're now financing crime, you're financing terrorism. Mm. So some of these pyramid schemes have a greater um, purpose in that not only is it always the case that the organizers are there to defraud, in some instances a pyramid scheme can be used to launder money because out of those five recipients you're paying, you could be simply legitimizing money for which was illegitimate. So, so I think that's the broader concern. Yeah, that's um, what they are not is they're not a stock shop because you're dealing with total strangers. You don't know who they are or what their business is. And I think that's probably the direction um, I'm more concerned about. Yeah. Um, it's, it's worrying in that when you see these schemes come up, people suddenly find money and in normal circumstances we say they can't save. And I think that's probably the challenge we have as an industry to find out how come when people are given these abnormal returns, money pops up, but under normal circumstances, no savings activity happens. Mm, very interesting, Gerald, the points that you bring there. Trevor, what do you think about what Gerald has just highlighted about the criminality of it maybe could be linked to even other forms of criminal acts? No, uh, he brings in a very important and very interesting dimension into this. And I think that is also one of the things that the Hawks would be looking into in, as part of their inquiry investigation. We don't know what exactly this uh, scheme is funding. Uh, where, what, what exactly is the initiator using the monies for? Um, that is very interesting. That it, I mean, I appreciate the fact they brought that in because I want people uh, and the listeners in particular to listen and to understand that uh, they. Yesterday, I was on in an interview and someone was attacking me uh, about us intervening in this and telling us all kinds of things. But what is that they don't understand is, in the bigger scheme of things, what exactly is the money being used? This is a fluid state of affairs. Uh, it's definitely not a stock sale. Stock sales are actually regulated and they're registered with the National Stock Sale Association of South Africa. Um, they are definitely not a stock sale. There's no constitution. It's just a fluid state of affairs. It's very, very informal. You run the risk of losing your money at any given moment in time. And yeah, and I hope that the Hawks will actually find out in their inquiry where exactly the money is going to and what exactly is being funded by this money. Mm. Well, Trevor, very interesting that you had like complaints from the people that you were uh, maybe speaking to in another radio station or maybe it was television because I was just speaking to one of our news readers and saying, hey, one of my family members is actually, be- you know, they just gave in about 4,000 into our our um into a, 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 a pyramid scheme and they've got like 30,000 out of it and they're still continuing because of the leverage they're getting out of it. And I'm like, but with this Triple M thing going on, do you think she's going to stop? And my colleague was saying, no, 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 I don't think she is because she's still getting money. I, I think the main thing, David, is that people are getting something out of it. So their benefits seem like more essential, especially if it's something that you've been doing for long term. It's something that you can't get out of because of the rewards that you see from it. So, so that's the problem with this because, yeah, if you go to a, a, a bank now and you say, look, I want to put my money in a bank account, they say, okay, you're going to get a between a 4 and 6% interest rate. And then you see a scheme like this, which is offering you 30, 40% interest rate. Which one are you going to go for? And the 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 creators of Ponzi schemes and, and pyramid schemes are very clever because in the beginning you will get those returns. Okay? You will get 
if you put your 100 rand in, you will get your 300 rand uh, a couple of weeks later. But they're using other people's money who are investing the scheme to pay you. There's nothing underlying it. So they create this hype. And, and yes, we've even had, had our members who've investigated schemes and, and their clients have said, no, please, we're doing well in the scheme. We don't want you to investigate it. And that's where the problem comes in because people get pulled into it. And they start with small amounts. They're very aggressive in that. You think you're getting a good return, so you start adding more and more in. Guaranteed at some point in every Ponzi scheme, the person who started the scheme is going to say, cool, I've now got enough money, and they're going to run away, and people are going to stop getting their returns. So don't be fooled by high returns. If something is too good to be true, it is. <laughs> that's, that's the point that people need to understand. If you don't understand where your money is going, um, like we've spoken now, it could be funding criminal organizations. But if you don't understand where your money is going, if somebody is not able to simply explain the scheme to you so you, don't, uh, so you understand it, don't put your money there. Mm. That's a simple rule of thumb that people can sure, follow. Sure, sure. Now, we have to take this conversation further and maybe look at uh, really how do we actually move forward beyond this particular area. I think it's a good move to see that the investigation is taking place with the Hawks, with the South African example that we're using with the Triple M. And I think that they might set a precedent or maybe an example on how to deal with these Ponzi schemes that we're seeing. Have you been part of a pyramid scheme? Maybe you got a lot of money out of it, just like in the example that I made just now, and you're seeing yourself saying, hey, maybe this is a way that can work. Maybe this is something that is kind of a leverage for you, was a leverage for you. Give us an example. Uh, maybe if you've had a positive experience, but we're not pushing it out there. We just want to hear the stories that could come out from you as the listener. Send us your SMSs on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Maybe you've had a bad experience as well, and you're like, Ben, this was actually something that actually destroyed me. I borrowed lots of money from someone and now I couldn't get it back because when I tried to trace these people, they were not there. As I mentioned, they met with me in a primary school. I know if I went back to that hall and I went to the principal of that school and say there was a, a, a group of people that I met at this particular day, I doubt that they'd be able to trace it because they were just hiring the hall. So give us your experiences. Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. We'll continue this conversation after this. If you have friends and family in the United States of America who enjoy staying in touch with news from home, tell them they can call 605-475-1711 and listen to Channel Africa from any mobile phone. The best part is there is no extra cost for the call when it originates from the U.S. So tell your friends and family in the U.S. to listen to Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. Hello, listeners. Join Channel Africa in its 50th anniversary celebrations. Channel Africa is turning 50 in May this year. Join us as we move through memories of this station since 1966. 
You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm Benjamin Mushatama, and this is African Dialogue. Today, we're speaking about pyramid schemes. We know in the recent past weeks, we've been hearing about a pyramid scheme specifically in South Africa called Triple M, and it's made headlines now because it seems to have collapsed, and uh, really, people have been there's been a huge outcry, specifically in South Africa, about some of the investors, so-called investors, who've invested in and lost a lot of money. But the Hawks are now investigating this triple. M investment scheme today. We're trying to help you to kind of see really uh, some of the things to be aware of when it comes to Ponzi schemes and also to help you see maybe there's an alternative way of actually maybe not getting as much as you would get from a pyramid scheme but saving safely. And I think that's where we need to be, especially in these hard economic times, Gerald. People are trying to find different ways of saving, they're trying to find different ways of getting that extra income, and that's why people could be more actually in a space whereby they find themselves actually finding other options such as pyramid schemes to actually get money and uh, I'm sure this is a time for pyramid schemes to be flourishing because I know when I was approached it was not a very good economic time Gerald? Pyramid, pyramid schemes typically um, arise in times of economic difficulty and because we're in that economic cycle which is challenging Hence why everybody's going for this. But I think we need to differentiate between saving and investment. Okay, and that's good, yeah. Most, pe- most people have just never saved. And when times are hard, because they don't have that emergency fund, which is prudent to have, because they don't have anything set aside, greed takes over. Because suddenly people want to save for all the periods which they haven't. They want something which gives immediate returns and hence the appeal of these pyramid and Ponzi schemes in that it's a solution. I mean, a lot of the people who've been on the radio have been saying, I retired debt, I managed to to pay off this, now I'm debt free. But the bottom line is, um, it's not the right behavior. I think what is more concerning for me as well as a financial services industry is, is, the fact that the banking sector, which is actually channeling all these funds, has been less uh, less than um, mobile in terms of responding. And I don't mean responding directly to a particular scheme, but just simply educating people. Because what we're seeing is years of financial education being undone. Because one of the things these permit schemes are doing is going around and saying a bank is a policy scheme, an insurance company is a policy scheme. Um, they work exactly the same way. And if we don't counter that message with aggressive um, communication at a time like this, this might be the first time someone is encountering financial services and they're hearing a negative message which will ultimately affect us in the long run. So to me, I think Mm. as an industry, we ought to just be sending out the right message right now in terms of how does a bank work, how does an insurance company work, and why... And, and not necessarily targeting a particular scheme, um, because obviously that's a matter between the courts and law enforcement agencies. But as financial educators, we need to really get out there and, and, and debunk some of these myths. I mean, I met yesterday a group representing one of these schemes. They are now canvassing outside the bank branches. That's how bold they are. They're emboldened because they've been taught to question, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you walk out of the bank, they say, why do you need money? Money is for white people. They created money. Mm. They don't want us to get rich with this scheme. And mm. we are not countering that message. And it's damaging 
the whole financial education space in that the next time you speak to that person and try and tell them the right thing, they've already been corrupted. And I think that's a space I'd like this discussion to go in terms of um, regulate and the financial services companies to say, you have the resources, send out those adverts, take out the full page adverts, put it on TV, educate what you do. Instead of being being um, complicit by sure. not taking action because what it looks like now is that the banks are enjoying all this money flying through their um, business mm. even though ultimately it's going to damage them because these people have no confidence in this in the system. Mm. Trevor, coming to you, that's an important uh, aspect. I remember reading a report that says specifically in South Africa that we're not a, a society that's very much uh, on par when it comes to financial literacy and that seems to be another problem as well. Yes, no, uh, I, I agree. Uh, from our side, what we've done now is we have uh, banded, banded together with the South African Police Services uh, insofar as education, um, advocacy and awareness is concerned. And we'll be starting a drive very, very soon whereby we are going to go out to communities and we'll be pointing out uh, how to identify pyramid schemes um, and those kind of things. But I also agree with my colleague on the other side who says that the, uh, this is a, a good opportunity for the financial services providers, the authorized ones out there, to go out and also to explain and to educate uh, consumers out there on what the correct ways of doing things and where, uh, not to say that they should come in and invest their monies with them, but explain the differences between what uh, a Ponzi scheme, for example, is and what uh, actual uh, uh, banking, normal bank, traditional banking system is, and the benefits and the, and the consequences of uh, investing your monies with uh, one or the other. Mm. Uh, and, and I think, yeah, it's a definitely a missed opportunity. But I'm hoping that they would they would come to the party and also do something from their side, because at the end of the day, these are their potential clients. And as a business operator or a person who operates uh, some uh, financial services. Uh, business, it is important for you to uh, also go out and to educate and put information, necessary information out there for your clients. Mm. Uh, let me come to you, David, your thoughts there on the issue of financial literacy, because I'm sure that's why we've got a culture of not saving as well. Yeah, most definitely. So as as an independent professional body for financial advisors, financial planners, the issue of financial literacy is key to the Financial Planning Institute. Um, about th- four years ago now, we developed a program called FPI My Money 123. It's a workshop program where we take people through the basics of understanding your finances, how to budget, how to put debt together, and then what to think about when you're starting your savings investments. So there's no product talk or anything like that. Our members offer it free of charge on a pro bono basis to to communities. Um, We go all over the place from from Alexandra to Santon. Um, So we do cover a broad spectrum of that. And and that's key. My, My one advice I can give to the listeners and the people listening is, Educate yourself. If forewarned is forearmed, they say. So make sure you go through that. Enroll in a financial education program. Look, there are financial services providers as well as the FBI who puts these out there free of charge for members to come. If you want to get educated, contact us. We can arrange a session for you. Um, But key, learn. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a good point there. I just have to wrap it up. And maybe I should start off with you, D- David, moving into this section just in a minute or two or so. Uh, just let us know, you know, are there any other alternative safe measures? Because we can't just speak about Ponzi schemes without yeah. giving people alternatives. We can't say yeah. don't go there, but at least let's lead people somewhere where it's safe to go. So, so there are hundreds of options for, for <laughs> people to invest money. And we've spoken about them. Your banks, your insurance companies, your unit trust companies. 
if you don't trust the financial services sector, which you know, there, there may be reasons not to, or you don't feel that, the South African government has put things like retail savings bonds where the ordinary man in the street can actually go and save invest them. The key here is make sure that the investment that you're putting your money into is in fact registered, it is regulated, so that if something does go wrong, you've got resource. And then finally, consult with a certified financial planner professional in order to get advice and who will do the research for you to make sure that the investment is legitimate and above board and can help allay and communicate and let you know exactly how the investment works. Mm. Gerald, coming to you, I know that there's also informal ways of saving uh, like a stock fell itself. It's become formalized through uh, the functioning of banks or setting up a, a bank, a, a, a central bank where everyone's account is actually, everyone's signing their account and gives permission for the release of a certain amount of money. I'm not a, a member of Stockfell. I haven't found a group of people to work with because you need to have that trust factor for you to have a stock fell. But, uh, you know, those measures are also other forms of safe ways of savings. Your thoughts there, Gerald? Gerald, are you there? Well, I think that we've lost Gerald there. But, Tre- Trevor, you can answer that question looking at stock fells themselves. And Gerald, Gerald, are you there? I can hear you. Oh, yeah. No, yes, definitely. Okay, okay stock sure. Stock fell is sure. a safe way of saving in that it's, it's an introduction to saving. It, it, it basically is something that works for someone who hasn't saved before because the group urges each member to contribute regularly and in order to remain a part of the group. But sooner or later, you need to then mature and start saving and investing on your own behalf. And the biggest challenge to saving right now is people just don't have the willpower. Um, they, they just don't prioritize saving, and that's why you need to talk to... CFP professionals to help you. And also I think there's also an argument that's growing for enforced saving. And this is where basically we have savings vehicles which either take money at source and put it aside, which speaks to the retirement reform argument, or we uh, encourage employers to start creating savings uh, pockets salaries like a 13th check and already a lot of the bank accounts have these things called savings pockets and I, what I have found is that where savings is automated or enforced people tend to make it a lot easier um, because simply willpower is the, is the biggest challenge and, and unfortunately willpower drives people into Ponzi schemes because they are desperate. And finally, let's come to you, Trevor, in terms of looking at creating a new culture of savings. What other methods can we use to encourage uh, listeners? I don't know who we've lost there. I don't know if it's Trevor. I'm not sure if it's Gerald. But let's just see who we have on the line. Um, Trevor, are you still there with us? Yes, I'm here. I'm still here. Sorry. Okay, I think we lost Gerald there. But I was uh, just highlighting the fact what other ways and measures can we use to actually encourage saving? You see, from our side and our jurisdiction, we are not in a position to actually point out to anyone yeah. uh, where they should and should not. However, yes. the law provides for us to protect them mm. against themselves so far as um, getting involved in, in fraudulent schemes and offers. But, yes. I, but I do want to agree with Gerald on, on, on what he said, that there are hundreds of uh, savings, legitimate savings and investment uh, institutions out there where people can can go and save their money. I think uh, what is most important here is to ensure that you, if you if you don't know or you don't understand, the best way to do things is to go to a to a reputable 
financial services organization. One of the other people that attacked me on a different interview, um, of callers, I mean, mentioned uh, we are so used to and we are caught up as South Africans in a traditional banking system. The truth of the matter is the traditional banking system is regulated, um, it, is, it is established. Um, if anything goes wrong, you have recourse. With, with these informal um, schemes that are all of a sudden mushrooming all over the place, when you lose your money, you are going to have absolutely no recourse. I recently learned that some people are actually approaching uh, formal banks and they are making loans uh, at these banks and then they invest the money in these schemes, hundreds mm -hmm. of thousands of rands. Yeah. And the danger with that is when the scheme collapses and it will collapse. I think this is one of the important things to point out. Mm -hmm. A scheme of this kind will collapse. It's inevitable. Mm -hmm. When? We don't know. When it becomes saturated, when recruitment slows down, when the initiator of the scheme decides to, to leave because he's made enough, it's going to collapse. And you are going to sit with the debt uh, to the bank and to whoever else that you borrow the money from. So yes, uh, if all else fails, stick to what you know uh, and, and go to an authorized financial service or a reputable financial services provider. And well, thank you so much to you, Trevor. That's Trevor Hatting, who is from the uh, National Consumer Commission. He's the spokesperson there. Thank you as well to David Kopp in our studios. He's the head of advocacy and consumer affairs at the Financial uh, uh, Planning Institute. Thank you. We really appreciate you coming all the way into our studios. Trevor, we also appreciate you making time for us. Now, that takes us to 11.45 Central African time. Tell us of your experiences of pyramid schemes. We want to know about them. Plus 27796957930. Or you can also email us at info at channelafrica.org. We want to hear your views and maybe we'll air them on our next program. Hey, it's time for us to move on. Let's get a quick break and then we'll come back and um, get our bulletin, which is our economics bulletin. Hello, listener. Join Channel Africa in its 50th anniversary celebrations. Channel Africa is turning 50 in May this year. Join us as we move through memories of this station since Economics News, I'm Asanda Matsaunyane. Good morning. South African President Jacob Zuma is expected in Mbabane, Swaziland this Thursday for another leg of the Southern African Customs Union meeting. South Africa chairs the SACO meetings that have taken place in Namibia, Botswana and now Swaziland discussing possible ways of better utilizing revenue aimed at improving the economy within these countries. From Swaziland, the Southern African Customs Union states will gather in Lesotho to further discuss resolutions taken during the past meeting. Abongile Dumago reports. President Jacob Zuma will be accompanied by ministers in the economic cluster, including International Relations Minister Mayite Nkwana Mashabane. Now, South Africa's High Commissioner to Swaziland, Happy Matlangu, says if all systems go and they are ready to host South African delegation, proceedings will resume at 3 o'clock this afternoon. 
Investors holding Mozambique's recently restructured tuna bond are demanding answers from the government and its bankers over what the International Monetary Fund says are previously undisclosed loans that could exceed one billion U.S. dollars. The revelations have rocked the relationship between one of the world's poorest countries and the IMF. Only last month, investors met Mozambican officials and agreed to swap an outstanding $697 million of the dollar-dominated tuna bond. The sixth edition of the Hotelier Summit Africa is underway in Johannesburg, South Africa. Known as the leading B2B summit, it hosts a nexus for leading stakeholders from the hospitality market in Africa. Through its industry networks, global reach and regional African focus, the summit aims to create personal and business opportunities, providing stakeholders with quality contacts and content. South Africa's Oak Bay Resources has appointed a local auditing firm after the local unit of KPMG ditched the company over allegations that its owners, the Gupta family, were yielding undue political influence. Sizwe Nzaluba Kobodo, South Africa's biggest black-owned auditing firm, has been appointed with immediate effect. Nigeria will hold talks with Saudi Arabia, Iran and other oil producers by May, hoping to reach a deal on an output freeze. A deal to stabilize oil output by OPEC and non-OPEC producers fell apart last Sunday. Nigeria, Africa's top oil producer, has been at the forefront of attempts to agree a production freeze as it suffers from a slump on oil revenues. Let's take a look at the financial indicators. The U.S. dollar is trading at 14.26 to the South African Rand, 10.50 to the Botswana Pula, 9.21 to the Zambian Kwacha. It's also trading at 0.69 to the British Pound and 0.88 to the Euro. On the commodities, gold is trading at $1,248, platinum at $1,020 an ounce, while the price of Brent crude oil is $45.93 a barrel. That's your economics news this hour. Next up is sports. First up in our sports update this hour, it's football news. The Chris Giwa-led Nigeria Football Federation, the NFF Executive Board, has rejected the Minister of Youth and Sports, Solomon Dalung's move to reconcile all warring factions of the Federation. Dalung had on Tuesday appointed former NFF boss Ibrahim Galadima as the head of the Reconciliation Committee to resolve issues within the organization with Tijani Yusuf, Bolaji Ojo Oba, Musa Amadu, Paul Basi, Okay, Obi and Carol Ngem Ojugu. However, in a statement signed by Chairman of the Chairman Ifong Johnson on Wednesday, the faction urged Nigerians to disregard the action of the minister, claiming that Dalung's effort is lacking in good faith and is calculated to hoodwink Nigerians. Egypt snatched the final semi-final spot after a 3-2 win over Morocco in the ultimate Group B match on Wednesday at the Ellis Park Indoor Arena in Johannesburg, whilst Libya crashed out despite a 4-2 win over Angola. 
The victory was enough for the Pharaohs to finish top of the group on seven points. One more than Morocco, who booked their place after the second day matches. Libya garnered four points and Angola pointless in that order. A three-time winners needed at least victory to be a certain of a place at the semis and the determination paid off against a Moroccan side, which had yet to taste defeat at the championship. The semi-final fixtures on the 22nd of April will see Mozambique taking on Morocco while Egypt up against Zambia. In athletics, Kenya has produced a winner of the men's London Marathon 10 times in the last dozen years and their dominance of the event does look doesn't look to subside in the 2016 event of the London Marathon on Sunday. Reigning champion Eliud Kipchoge and course record holder, two times winner Wilson Kipsang, will be amongst the favourites. Yeah, I think from uh, the, the, the previous performances out of the guys, you find that I've really, uh, I've, run, I've run very well. And I've got lots of experience and uh, winning this race twice and uh, Many of these guys find that I have not really won twice. And I have understood really the course very well. And uh, I'm really very positive on it. With the 2016 Olympics Rio de Janeiro just around the corner, many athletes see London as a big chance to prove themselves worthy of a sport in the Kenyan team for the Games. Kipsang, who got a bronze at London 2012, says this time he's aiming for gold. Yeah, I think uh, Kenyan Federation are really waiting for the results of this race and then they can now select, which I think probably they might select one or two guys from this race, then add up with other performances from uh, various races on other athletes. So which I think immediately after this, then we shall really know who is in and who is out. But me, I'm really looking forward to really compete uh, in the, the, the Olympics because I competed in London 2012, getting a bronze, which was not really my... My target. My target has been always to go for the gold. And talented and disadvantaged polo players in South Africa were given a chance to shine at the Inanda Development Cup in Johannesburg this past weekend. The event seeks to develop players through a program of mentorship, key skills development and continuous support, resulting in many players now competing successfully in prominent local tournaments. Polo director at Inanda Club, Craig James, explains. The whole purpose behind the Inanda Development Cup presented by Land Rover is really to give development players the opportunity to play on a platform where they would otherwise not have an opportunity. These are guys who generally are working in the stable, they're looking after our horses and uh, they perform a very fundamental part of the care of our horses and the function of our polo as individuals. What we decided to do was to have a, an event, a tournament of this nature, where we could have these guys play, give them the opportunity and make the highlight about them, not about us, just to sort of give back to them. And finally, with golf news, Alex Levy leads the Shenzhen International after an opening round of 66 for six under par. The Frenchman is back at the Genzhen Golf Club where he won the China Open in 2014. He led after the first round at Valderrama last week. Levy says he's happy because it's good times for him. It's good time for me, a good rest, four weeks. Valderrama last week was really tough and uh, I use a lot of energy on that. This week uh, I don't practice a lot. I just uh, walk the golf course, play the program and uh, and uh, shoot 600 today. It was really cool. And that's the Sport News this hour.
right, that's how we wrap it up until tomorrow. But I'll be with you for the next hour for uh, Africa Midday, giving you the latest news on what's happening on the continent of Africa. But remember, for our program, we want to hear from you. So SMS us your thoughts on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Don't forget that we're on Twitter as well at African Dialogue, or you can go to the handle of Channel Africa. Let's increase that community there at African Dialogue or at Channel Africa One. That's the numeric one at the end at Channel Africa One. Or you can go to our Facebook page. It's titled Channel Africa, and you can engage more with us and find out more about our station. But uh, until uh, just in the ne- next few minutes, I'll be with you to give you more news on what's happening here on the continent of Africa. I'll be standing in for Zikonamiso.